Hello and welcome. I'm Les Bubka and you're listening to Accidental Podcast or something like that. In this episode, I have a pleasure to talk to Tiffany Richards from Peaceful Warrior Martial Arts and Healing Center um, located in Scottsdale, USA. Our conversation, conversation was sparked up by uh, Tiffany's recent video um, titled Anti-Grappling and the reaction of the community um, towards what has been shown. Um, the clip was only a, a minute short and um, kind of taken out of context and people commented on it, um, especially the people from the grappling um, community, uh, not in a very polite manner and uh, very criticizing. So uh, as you know, I have a few podcasts um, talking to female instructors and what they have to face in a male-dominated environment. So I thought I'm going to have a chat with um, Tiffany and see see what's what. And mainly we've been talking about overcoming obstacles, uh, mental health, and how Tiffany was dealing with the loss of her partner, um, what drives her uh, to provide a community-focused classes, and um, the female perspective on self-defense and self-protection for women. Uh, it was very insightful. Um, Tiffany is a very passionate. You can feel that she's very passionate about uh, what she's doing, which is greatly appreciated. And she had a very um, thoughtful ideas and conversation with me. So I hope you're gonna enjoy. Uh, in the meanwhile, meantime, if you would like to support uh, the show, uh, please share through the social media. Um, more people listening to it um, helps us grow. Uh, if you'd like to uh, support uh, one of my projects, so it's Karate for Mental Health program, um, you can buy our mer- merchandise or um, donate via PayPal. I would much appreciate it. Uh, and now, uh, let's go and listen. And um, hi, Tiffany. How are you? I'm doing well, thank you. <laughs> uh, it's nice to meet you in the kind of uh, more personal way than just only through the posts on the Facebook yes. and other stuff. Um, would you be able to give us some um, background on your experience in martial arts and, and what you do? Of course. So um, I, I've said this a couple of times in other interviews where I, as soon as I graduated high school, I, I grew up in a really, really small town. So as soon as I graduated high school, I did not have the uh, karate available to me or any kind of martial arts mm-hmm. available to me when I, in my little town that I grew up in. And so as soon as I graduated, I moved down to Phoenix, Arizona. And the first thing I did was I, I found a job at a dojo. So I've mentioned that before in a couple of other podcasts, it was really important to me. And I think just like a lot of people who don't really know what they're looking for, as far as training, if you haven't done a ton of research and you don't know if you want to participate in a particular system, I just wanted to find a school that I had fun at, that I learned something and that was close to me. So I found a karate school that just happened to do kind of like a hodgepodge. So they, they did mostly Shotokan and Kempo. So mm-hmm. I actually did a little bit of traditional training in the very beginning, even though I really didn't know um, that I was doing traditional karate when I was learning all of the Shotokan kata. And, uh, but what I really, really liked about this, this school is that the owner was great at bringing in other, other teachers, other systems. He encouraged cross-training. And so there were different systems there, like Goju Shore, there was Aki Jiu-Jitsu. Uh, we even had a, a Russian instructor who was there teaching Sistema. There was some grappling. And then, of course, the system that I inevitably ended up joining was Kinshoto. And I would go in and I would stretch and, and warm up. <clears throat> and I would watch these guys working. And everything that they did just seemed so effortless. 
and but yet devastating. And I, I wanted to learn it and inevitably ended up joining their their group, um, Sensei Santa Maria, who I still is my my instructor to this day. But Kenshoto is a blend of Shoreru, uh, Lima Lama, if you're familiar with that, it's Ted Deborah system, which is um, uh, Polynesian martial art, mm-hmm. uh, Tai Lu Chuan Fa, which is like a Southern style of Chinese boxing, Gung Fu, it's similar to Wing Chun, uh, Chinese Kempo. So when you say Kempo, it's like karate, karate, yeah. empty hand, Kempo would just be the Chinese version of Quan Fa, which is without a weapon. Mm-hmm. Uh, so a lot of Chinese type systems, Kaju Kempo, which is kind of a, a mix of Judo, Chinese boxing, Kempo, karate. And I've been doing that Gosh, I think I started when I was like 18 or 19. And um, so the concepts in, in the system, um, a little different. Like the first thing is that we don't, we don't ever chamber. So mm-hmm. we don't have this hikite. You don't have, you don't have hikite. Oh, yeah. <laughs> only, only unless we're, unless we're um, we've got something mm. in our hand. Right. But the, the whole idea is as effortless movement. So whereas karate is very linear, um, this is very fluid and flowy and moving. And and even though we're moving forward, we're kind of twisting as we're moving forward. And and we, there's not a lot of pullback because the, the movement should be effortless. We should be able to strike from here. We shouldn't have to rechamber our tool to come back. Those types of things. Um, so really no wasted movements, making sure same concepts as karate, keeping your tools in front of you, you know, your body stays behind your tools, making sure that you're relaxed, you're always moving forward, you have a, a nice no tension in the body, um, just economy of motion, really. So what, what sparked up in your interest in karate? Because you said you move out from your from your uh, from your place of birth and then found the job and the dojo. What sparked you to look for the karate or something similar? Or it was just I, any, any martial art? Yeah, when I was a kid, um, I was just obsessed. I didn't, I didn't like team sports. I wasn't mm-hmm. really into that. Um, I, would, I would go home and I'd watch WWE wrestling and I'd like body slam my mom's pillows, like the couch cushions. Um, I watched all the Bruce Lee movies. I just really, it just resonated with me. I just, I wanted to learn it. And there was nothing similar other than like the high school wrestling team. Mm -hmm. There was nothing like that in my little town. And so I, I just had, there was just something kind of calling me to martial arts. Um, even at a very young age, I just wasn't able to do it until I found a place that that taught it when I was in a bigger town. Mm. So how did you end up in uh, Peaceful Warrior Martial Arts and so, uh, hitting? Yeah, so the, the interesting thing is, is that um, and so gosh, I, this was like the late 90s when I started doing martial arts and then around. Well, I moved for a, a little stint, so I was gone for about four years. And then when I got back, um, Richard Pogue, so I'm sure a ton of people know who he is, <laughs> Sensei Pogue, he what he had an instructor named Charlie Contreras, and Charlie Contreras was a Shoriru guy. Mm-hmm. And he just happened to be my sensei's Shoriru instructor as well. Um, even though there was an age difference in that. So when Charlie was younger, he was working with my sensei, Alex. Mm-hmm. And then as an older person, he was working with Richard, mostly on sparring, uh, tournament mm-hmm. sparring, because Richard was just running around at all the tournaments and and uh, and really dominating the, the tournament scene, um, thanks to Charlie. So Charlie had referred Richard over to Alex, my Sifu and said, um, this is the guy you need to be sparring with. You need to be training with his guys. And so when I kind of got back from when I moved and came back to Phoenix, uh, I walked into the dojo for the first time. And there's this guy that I had never met before. And it was so funny because he's wearing traditional white gi. We all wear black gis. He's wearing a traditional white gi without a shirt, which I'd never really seen before. Uh, and I just, I'm like, how weird is that? Oh my gosh, he's so strange. And, but man, watching him fight with the other guys and, and all of that, we just, we ended up really connecting 
and had a ton in common, obviously the martial arts, but other things outside of that as well. And knew each other for about a year, started dating, and then decided, let's open up a karate school. And he had already had a karate school with his parents prior to that for about eight years. So yeah, we decided in 2010, July of 2010 is when we opened Peaceful Warrior Martial Arts. That was my first, oh, sorry. So yeah, so you are the founding member of uh, yes. Episode, my you see, I didn't know that. I thought it was oh, Richard, yeah. and then you joined in. But you seems to be working behind the lines. Yes. Behind the scenes. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's the thing too. Is um, that was really my first time being exposed to just straight traditional karate. Mm-hmm. I, I had done all this cross training and all these various other systems, but everything was so blended all the time. And so this was my first experience, really, truly just Shorinru karate, white gi karate. <laughs> um, although Richard had done a ton of stuff. He, he did jujitsu, he did shoot boxing, he did a little taekwondo earlier in his career. From the age of four, when he started training, up until the time we met and even beyond, he had never stopped doing karate, ever. Hmm. So I think he was at 26 years of karate training um, in total he, before he passed. He was a black belt under Taikariata uh, as well in Neruta, wasn't he? Yeah, he was actually the youngest black belt. Um, oh, that's impressive. That was promoted. Yeah, absolutely. And so, I yeah, so we founded Peaceful Warrior together in July of 2010. We were partners in life and in business and ran a ridiculously successful karate school. Um, and, and the dojo is still going obviously, but you know, um, he ended up passing away in 2017. He had a brain tumor. We didn't, we didn't know. And he, um, was, he was showing some symptoms, but we didn't know what that meant. And he was so strong, um, so physically and mentally strong that he he would just kind of keep going. Like he would, he would go to the school and teach and train. And in fact, he went to uh, several tournaments and won tournaments the same year um, mm. with a brain tumor. And, and then the last seminar that he went to, he and a couple students went to San Diego when Ian was, Abernathy yeah, was, was teaching. Yeah. yeah. yeah I was, I and was then, so- I was follow, following the um, Richard story. It's very sad. Um, yeah. Well, you know, you couldn't predict that things like that, can you? Yeah. No, you can't at all. <clears throat> and yes. and then you took over completely um, the peaceful uh, warrior. And I heard you commenting somewhere that you had to put a lot of effort to actually bring yourself into the technical abilities and um, what being taught. Can you shed a little bit of light on this one? Yeah, of course. Um, and it was just that when we started the school together, um, I also have another company. So the school is not my only source of income. Mm-hmm. It was Richard's source of income, but I have a national corporate wellness company. So I was working on that as well. So I was very much behind the scenes at Peaceful Warrior. So I ran the front of the house is what I called it. I ran mm-hmm. the office. I, I did the emails. I made the payments. I paid the bills. I did all that stuff. And then Richard was the the main instructor, of course, with many other wonderful instructors that we had as well. Um, And I would go out on the mat and I would train. And anytime Sensei Bethay, his Sensei would come into town, I would be out there and I do seminars every single year. We went to probably three camps together, karate camps together. Um, So it wasn't that I wasn't learning Shorinru, but that wasn't my main system. Mm -hmm. My main system is Kenshoto, it always will be. And and I, I just had to focus on the business aspect. <clears throat> so when he passed away, in fact, uh, the only kata that I learned in the eight years that we had, the, the first eight years that we had this business was Pinan Nidan. <laughs> and the only reason I learned that kata was because I had to teach it to our tournament team kids, because that's the mm-hmm. first kata that we teach for like white and yellow belts to go compete. And so he taught me Pinan Nidan so I could go, so I could go teach it to the tournament team kids. Um, so then when I, when he passed and I had a meeting with the black belts in the dojo and we decided to keep the dojo and keep it going, then I had to learn everything. So for the past three years, I've been learning 
all 21 kata that are in the system. Mm -hmm. We have Yakusoku, Kumite. So I've learned all of those. Luckily in our curriculum, we have self-defense techniques that we do. And those are all from me. So I know those. <laughs> so my system has a lot of self-defense techniques and, and we've incorporated some of those in there that very much look like the kata. So, you know, if it's, if it's related to the kata, then we'll throw a self-defense technique in the curriculum. So there's probably like three or four self-defense techniques per belt. Uh, that's a lot of stuff to learn. Yes. <laughs> learn and then teach. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. yeah but you know teaching is kind of extended learning in my opinion yes so um you learn more um but you managed to seems to keep it going and it's it's still quite successful um dojo isn't it the dojo is extremely successful and i am going to attribute that to our amazing teaching staff and our students and the community that richard and i built because that was our entire goal it wasn't just well let's open a karate school it was let's create a community where martial arts um, is kind of like an accelerant or, or helps families um, with their mental health, their, their physical health, their well-being, their, them being together. So you, know? you nicely bringing me into my uh, favorite subject. So the karate of martial arts and mental health. Um, what kind of impact martial, art, martial arts, martial arts had on your, on your mental health and what you can see as a teacher, how it's impacting your students? You know, I was thinking about this and I was thinking, um, you know, how has this affected my mental health? And I could give a cliche answer. I could tell you, oh, discipline and focus and all of that stuff that you hear all the time. But there's three things, three things that I think that have affected me and not so much when I was younger, um, mm -hmm. but, but mm -hmm. most recently, particularly since having peaceful warrior, um, one is it has taught me resilience in mm -hmm. 2013, I was testing for one of my ranks and I got thrown and I tore my ACL. My knee got completely blown. In fact, the video is on our YouTube channel and I can't even watch it because I just, I remember it so vividly. My knee blew uh, mm -hmm. completely. I had a full ACL tear, PCL, LCL damage, meniscus, Baker cyst, you name it, the knee was shot. Mm -hmm. And I remember in that test, standing back up and wanting to fight. I didn't stop. I did not want to stop. Mm -hmm. I think the test prior to that one, I probably would have quit. I probably would have mm -hmm. given up, but there was something inside of mm -hmm. me that just said, you got to keep going. And in fact, when I stood up, my knee gave out and I fell back down to my knees. And the guy I was fighting at the time um, that was on the, my panel got down on his knees and we duped it out on our knees. And that has taught me resilience in life. Like mm -hmm. you don't give up, you keep pushing through. There is light at the end of the tunnel. You are going to get through this. And then the other thing, and I'm going to get deep for a second because, you know, why not? Um, sure. I don't know how many people talk about this kind of stuff, but when Richard passed away, I mean, he was my, not only my business partner, but my life partner. He mm -hmm. was the person that I wanted to be with and, and we were together for a long time. And when he died, I thought, I, there's really no reason for me to be here. Mm -hmm. um, and in fact, like suicide came up many times. And I remember thinking that if I do that, and if I'm no longer here, then I am doing a disservice to the students who are counting on me being at that dojo. And so they were the reason that I didn't do that. And that is a huge, huge thing. Yeah, definitely. Um, and I, I talked to a couple people about this particular thing. And they said, there's no harm in mentioning that because you're not the only person that's ever thought that. You know, I was mm -hmm. going through a very, very, very dark time. I just lost my partner in life. Mm -hmm. um, and there was really no reason for me to stick around. 
but because of the community that we created, I felt like I owed it to them to show up for them and be fully, fully present. And so those students and that community and, and those instructors are truly the people that got me through the darkest days uh, right after Richard died. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm working with, uh, with um, mental health charities. So I've got um, people in di with different conditions, depression and stuff like that. And, and one thing which I notice is, is the key um, to martial arts, any groups actually, is that the network of support of people who are keeping you up and they don't let you go. So, you know, like you said, your, your students and, and community is that support of the community who are not judging you, but just are there for you or you for them. And I think that's the, that's the huge benefit of martial arts and any, any groups of support and, and any sports. Yeah. You know, when, when COVID first happened uh, back in March, I was actually in Japan when all this was going on last year. Um, and people were freaking out. They're like, oh my gosh, are you going to get home? How are you going to make it home? They're going to close the borders, get back to the States, all of that stuff. And in Japan, we were just kind of living our lives. Nobody in Japan was freaking out. Mm -hmm. Nobody was rushing to the grocery stores and taking all the items off the shelf. We, we had toilet paper. In fact, we brought toilet paper from Japan back to the States. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> so, uh, it was an interesting thing because there was like pandemonium going on in the States. And then in Japan, it was just kind of business as usual, even though the same thing was happening in, in both areas. And one of the things was, is that our governors were starting to close down businesses. You got to close down gyms, close down restaurants. And, uh, I, I actually told a couple of the instructors who called me and said, we've got to put a sign on the door. I said, no, we're not, we're not closing down. We will not close down. I will risk getting a fine because if this is the only sense of normalcy that these people get because their schools are closing, their restaurants are closing, they're going to virtual learning, all of that. If this is the only consistency that they're going to get in their lives for who knows how long, then are you still there? Yeah, yeah, I'm still here. Okay, sorry. <laughs> if this is the only sense of consistency that they're going to get, then we're going to be the people that give that to them. Mm, and so I actually refused to close. Two times the state of Arizona uh, issued gyms close. And mm -hmm. even though we're not technically a gym, I did not close the doors. No, so we had we had to close it, close it down by, by law. So um, with all yeah. the guidance and you know everybody's got their own way of, of dealing things. So yeah. Ho hopefully soon we can go back to normal uh, in UK. Definitely. And I know that it's, I think it's a lot worse for you guys there for sure. Mm. Cause you know, even in the groups, all I see are solo training drills. I don't yeah. even see you guys working with anyone. And I, I feel bad. I mean, yesterday our dojo, we had the busiest day in the dojo that we've had in a long time. We probably had 15 to 20 people for Kata class. Mm -hmm. I had like eight kids on the mat for youth class. Um, I think we had eight or so in adult class last night. Like it was mm. just busy. And it's, it's people just wanting to get back in and train and, and also have that social aspect, which also affects mm. mental health as well. Yeah, that's what I'm hoping that when we um, go back, our uh, UK government announced that uh, in June, June, July, we can go back to contact training. Mm -hmm. So I hope that's what's going to happen, that people are going to come out and look for that exercise and we're all going to get a bit of a boost of um, students. Right. Because at the moment, everybody's uh, numbers dropping down rapidly. Yeah. Um, so you started posting videos, which uh, <laughs> had a lot of attention. Um, I, I have to apologize for a male part of the martial arts. Uh, I don't know why it is. The men would not say that um, to the other bloke, but they feel entitled to criticize women when they show something. So I done a few podcasts with the uh, instructor, female instructors like yourself who are strong, powerful, and running their own schools. And the question is, why is that so? And why women have it always up the, up the hill with the martial arts? Um, let me first start by saying that 
even in the couple videos that caused a little controversy, because I know the anti-grappling one uh, <laughs> caused some controversy in the BJJ community. It's fine. I have friends that are BJJ guys. It's fine. They were laughing about it. Uh, people have a lot of time on their hands these days. <laughs> so they have a lot of time to... Huh? There's a lot of angry pajamas around. Yeah. <laughs> Keyboard warriors. They have a lot of time to go in and comment and stuff. And I, and, and for me, it's like not what, and I, and this is what I have to say as a defense, basically for those guys is that not once did they go, Oh, you're a female. You don't know what you're doing. No one said anything mm -hmm. about me being female in anything that I've ever posted. No one's ever said anything about me being a female. Now, whether they're saying it behind closed doors is another thing. Oh, she's a chick. She doesn't know what she's talking about. Mm -hmm. You know, that kind of thing. I don't know. But no one's ever referenced the reason that they don't like something that because I'm a female. And in fact, I do have to say that of all the videos we have on YouTube, there's only that that one that because I hit I hit a, a sore spot in the grappling community. Yeah. <laughs> um, but you can't take just like in that group that that uh, someone had posted. We won't name names, but someone had posted mm -hmm. something about uh, the arm bar not being efficient, and then it kind of. Mm -hmm a spurred an entire conversation in which I told the moderator, just keep it up. I don't, mm. I have a thick skin. I don't care. It, it's no offense to me um, because one little clip, like a one minute clip does not show my skills, nor does it show the entirety of anyone else's skills that's demoing with me. Um, it's, you can't grasp that kind of knowledge from a one minute clip. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. And as, so, well, as well, which I, I'm finding very frustrating that you try to show if you do a video and you do it as it's meant to look like, nobody can see anything because it's messy, it's scrappy. And then when yeah. you do the video, when you want to show something, you need to do it slower, more transparent so people actually see. And then you've got those people, oh, that wouldn't work because it's not like that. Well, <laughs> I have to find the balance between, you know, to show you how it works. Right. And the thing is, is that the guys that are commenting and i will continue to post videos but the guys that are commenting are the ones that i never see them post anything yeah so hey you're going to comment and you're going to say something about what we're doing or what someone else is doing then show your own stuff well, that, that won't happen isn't it yeah they're not it's not going to happen but this happens in every group this this is this is politics all over the board mm. you find it in every single group that you're in karate or not and even though i i'm sorry to say it but even though some of the oh what is it practical karate guys now are there well the reason they're practical karate guys is because of no politics oh please there's politics <laughs> everywhere whether you're in an organization or you're not in an organization there's politics involved so of course there's always going to be that one or two guys that just has something to say mm. that's fine I, I grew up in a male dominated industry anyway. I grew up, I mean, I literally grew up like with my dad, like camping, hunting, four wheeling. I didn't grow up like with a lot of females. Mm -hmm. um, I don't particularly have a lot of really close female friends, maybe a few, but most of the people that I hang out with are guys. In my corporate wellness company, I mostly deal with men. Um, in the martial arts, I am the only female black belt in my system. The only one. Why? Why is that? You think? It's a hard system. Mm. Well, and... I see that. I see that across the board. So um, there's a very big difference. Uh, I can't pronounce it. A difference between the amount of uh, black belt males and black belt females in any martial art organization. Um, and I know that the, the like my wife she had to drop out because she was pregnant and we had another child so although i'm taking care of the children but she doesn't have a time or well, she's got the will but she doesn't have a time or energy to go to classes um so that's the that's obvious impact we, we guys have it easier um but then after that um it's just kind of the age group above the children when the children are a bit growing grow up and there's still that uh, big difference between black belts or participants of the female and male. Um, well, what do you think is that happening? Why? 
definitely like to your point, you know, just family kind of domestic responsibilities for sure. You're raising kids and all that. And so um, a lot of times to career, I've had a lot of females that have come through the school and this is, this is the, I think the, the difference uh, I, I shouldn't say just women. I mean, guys don't necessarily like to get beat up every day, but women I've had, like, I had a female come through. She really wanted to do karate. And then the first time she trained with someone, we were just doing some basic kind of one step mm -hmm. sparring drills and she got bruises on her arm and quit. She, she just, uh, a lot of the women that come through our dojo don't want to get hit. Mm -hmm. They, they don't like that, that gruffness or anything like that. And the thing is, is I came from a system and still do the system where the guys don't hold back just because I'm a girl. Mm. They don't, you have to fight. You have to learn how to do the technique. You have to do it properly. And, and the thing is with women, we don't have this, the body strength, like the muscle strength to, to kind of compensate mm. uh, when we're doing techniques. So we have to be technical and that's hard. It's very difficult. I was struggling on Tuesday night when I went down to not Peaceful Warrior, but but the school that I train mm -hmm. at. Um, I was struggling with the technique. I could not get it because I had no strength to help me supplement with that particular technique. And and women, I I just don't think that they get a little intimidated. They any of the women that I work with, they kind of shy back. Um, mm -hmm. They don't like that aggressiveness there are a few women that, that do, and that are really, really great at it. But I think that's kind of where that divide comes in. Mm -hmm. And you're doing now quite a lot. You've been on a few podcasts. Uh, you had a nice article about you as well. So you're now doing uh, a um, self-defense or self-protection programs for, for women. Can you tell us about that? Yeah, I do. Um, I've always taught self-defense. Uh, Richard and I used to travel around and teach together as well. We've taught kind of all over the country. And, um, but I started, it was just this past year started the peaceful warrior woman. Mm -hmm. And this was because I had been teaching self-defense, never really told my story. And, and I'm not even going to get into all of that stuff right now, but I was in a, a serious domestic violence situation. Mm -hmm. Uh, in my early twenties and ended up getting out of that. But I, if, if you want to learn more about that, then I have other podcast interviews out there about that. So when I started teaching a little bit more frequently last year and, and traveling, uh, I was in California and Oregon and, and here in Phoenix and the women that had been coming into my classes had, had, I had some really scary stories come in with women that had been assaulted or one woman that was stabbed. That's in one of my other interviews. And so taking from what they needed or what their fears were, I created this program mm -hmm. that truly is a, a serious women's self-defense, self-protection program. This is no fluff. Uh, involved and everything that we teach or everything that we do has been pressure tested by me. Mm -hmm. So I have had guys choke me um, to a point of actually damaging my trachea. Mm -hmm. I have been pushed up against walls. I have been thrown down on the ground, all in kind of research <laughs> to create the best techniques. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's different than like karate. Like you want to come in, you want to learn karate. You want to learn martial arts. You want to learn a screamo, whatever it is that you want to do. That's a, that's a program that you do. Mm -hmm. And you're, you're learning all these different aspects, not just the physical components as well. If you just want to learn how to distract and get away and go get help and make sure that you're not a victim, mm -hmm. then that's, that's the program for the women. I, I like that you separate those two because um, I'm not kind of into self-defense and stuff like that. I think there's more to life than do a self-defense and, and all the time be on the alert. Um, so I, I focus on the martial art, on art aspect. But I think a lot of instructors um, in martial arts forget that they are two completely different things and they intertwine. But if you want to do one or the other, you have to focus on something and there is kind of a lot of um, false advertising for me, you know, come to our karate club, we teach self-defense and then you do all the sporting applications and stuff like that. I think yeah. 
that's kind. I like that you separated this and uh, and then you you going strictly for women and then we self defense without any other um I've just I've just uh, additions to it. Sorry. Right, right. But that's true. Like you, if the women want to continue with the dojo and they want to they want to do karate, great. They they have to have a gi and they're going to line up for class and they're going to learn kata and they're going <laughs> to they're going to participate in our curriculum if they want to learn self-defense to protect themselves and like i said so they can get away i'm not teaching them how to stand toe to toe with somebody and duke it out mm -hmm. i'm teaching them how to create some sort of a distraction with a technique i mean before before we even get into the techniques we talk about awareness we talk about boundaries we talk about communication we talk about how you should be how your body posture should be shoulders back head up eyes forward um, mm. how you're walking uh, creating boundaries those types of things first before we even get into the physical aspect of of just a few techniques and then the techniques we're not teaching techniques like uh in a step we're not teaching one two three because when you're in a real situation, like a real altercation, you don't have time to think about, okay, step one, what did she say? Oh yeah, I have to trap the hand or whatever the case is. You just have to go after vulnerable areas, gross, big motor movements and get out of there. And so that's really what we're teaching in the self-defense. We're not teaching in steps. Mm -hmm. Whereas if you like, when you're learning kata, obviously, you know, yeah. You're, you're learning an entire pattern. Um, right. You don't do that in self-defense. You can't. There's no time for that. That's very true. <laughs> um, so what, what did you find that are the biggest barriers for uh, women to get into the self-defense um, kind of programs? Like what my... What, yeah, my what, issues what are? you find in the, No, not your issues, but the, the women who um, want to do but they are put off by something. They think it may be a bit too brutal. It's not for them. Um, what kind of barriers um, are kind of mostly um, stopping women from taking part in? Because I think the self-defense actually for women should be kind of broadly taught, even on school level. I've got a friend in Germany who is going, going in the schools from the uh, primary school, secondary schools to uh, universities, and they've got the programs of self-defense for uh, for children and then specifically for women. Mm -hmm. um, well, I think if so for self-defense, like here's a few mm -hmm. things like for women's self-defense, and we're not talking like karate program, we're just talking yeah, yeah. straight up women's self-defense. If a woman who I have met many has ever been a victim of domestic violence or has ever been assaulted, she is scared out of her mind. Mm -hmm. So the last thing she wants to do is to come and take a self-defense course and then almost in a sense recreate that scenario or recreate those emotions that come up sure. especially if you've been in that kind of situation so that's really scary for women the other thing is, is and i ran across this is that women typically have a really hard time taking self-defense courses from men Mm -hmm. Because if they have been assaulted by a man or if they have been abused by a man, then the last thing they want to do is walk into a room and have a guy teaching them how they should be protecting themselves. And to be quite frank with you, who who don't they don't have the experience of being assaulted mm -hmm. themselves. Yeah, I think that's the, that's a big problem, because what I can say that from my own perspective, I've got quite a few females in my club. Um, sometimes when I'm explaining something from a point of view, martial arts, not self-defense, it's kind of easy for a man to do it, but I don't have that point of view of the woman. So I'm, I'm happy. I'm, I'm, I'm lucky that I've got the uh, higher grades who can step in and say, well, yeah, but it wouldn't work for me like that. We have to change this and this. Um, so I think that's the kind of, um, when the men running self-defense, they should have a female instructor who can put the, the your side of the view point of view to the teaching because we simply we're not female we don't know what's going on yeah and i think a lot of that too is like the fear it's it's not just the physical aspect of it a lot of it is our our mental component as well so mm -hmm. um i've had women that have come into my classes who say that they contemplate they literally have to stand there at the door and say do i feel safe going out for a hike today or it's almost dark do i feel okay about leaving the house and walking my dog by myself mm. or 
when they're pulling up to the grocery store parking lot? Where should I park in order to feel safe? Men don't have to go through those emotions or those feelings in their head. Men typically don't think about that kind of stuff. They want to go outside and go for a jog. They go for a jog. They don't think about being followed in a car or, or stalked by somebody or, you know, women think about that stuff all the time. Do they, like, if it's dark, do they feel safe walking out to their car Mm -hmm. after work? Men don't think about that. They don't have to. And so sometimes guys will, will teach self-defense and no, I mean, I love it. I have the guys help me out all the time. And Richard and I were teaching together before that, but that fear that we have, um, that comes from a woman and a Mm -hmm. woman's perspective. So that's kind of wrong on so many levels, isn't it? It's kind of, it's a um, society problem because women should, shouldn't feel like that just by default. It should be right. that, you know, we are all all together and everybody should feel safe. It is kind of right. um, very wrong. Well, and the other aspect of that is that, yeah, we hear all of the really unusual stories in the news. So we hear man jumps out of bushes and stabs yeah. woman. You know, we hear that kind of stuff that's in the news. But realistically, what's happening is, is for the most part, 99% of the time, it's she's attacked or assaulted by someone she knows. Mm, yeah, definitely. And so that's another thing that we talk about too. And that's something that maybe a male instructor might not know that or, or might not have I, that I, kind of information. Yeah, I think if people educate themselves, it's kind of... Um... I don't know. For, I'm, I'm not doing the self-defense, as I said, but listening to the people from the practical circles, there's a lot of emphasis on that, that, you know, the data shows that it is that children will be abducted by the friend of the family or somebody who yeah. they know. Same for women. They will be probably mostly attacked in their own home than somewhere else by a friend or somebody who they know. So I think if people want to educate, uh, knowledge is there. Yeah, definitely. I agree with that for sure. So how, how do you overcome that, um, those barriers in, in your programs? How do you get that vulnerable women to join your classes and, and do stuff? Hey, you're a woman, so that, that's, that's making them a bit more comfortable. But what proactively are you doing to, to encourage them to come to you and, and learn some useful skills? Well, as far as self-defense goes, the fact that I have been in that situation, I truly can say, I know where you're coming from. I know your fears. I have been in that situation. I have been beat up by my boyfriend. I have been pushed down a flight of stairs by my boyfriend. (laughs) I have those types of things that all happened to me. Mm -hmm. So I have that um, where I can connect with them on that level where I'm, I'm not just some year and a half. Sorry guys. Taekwondo black belt. Um, See, see, there goes the offense part. Mm -hmm. Uh, I know I defend somebody, but I'm just, I'm not that person that's like, oh, I've never been in any kind of situation before. I'm going to teach you how to defend yourself or like my marketing material. I see marketing material all the time of like the woman throwing her high kick and her stiletto heels with her little crop top. It's like, oh my gosh, (laughs) you're, you're making self-defense out to be sexy. Mm -hmm. And I'm, if you really knew what it was like to be assaulted, it's not sexy. You're fighting for your life like get, get a grip. And so like that kind of thing is what's frustrating for me. And then what it does is that it puts this kind of like false sense of security. So if a woman sees that advertising and they're like, I'm going to go do self-defense and then they take a self-defense class and their teacher teaches them how to do something ridiculous that because the attacker really isn't attacking them. They're just kind of like putting their hands on their on the woman's shoulders or whatever. And then, oh, look how easy it is to break out of this choke. See, that's all you need. And then they walk away with like this false sense of security that they know how to protect themselves now. Yeah, that, and yeah I think it's, t- t- TikTok and social media is full of those kind of videos showing how easy it is to uh, overcome a male or any attacker. Right. Yeah. And it's not easy and it's scary and you get tunnel vision and you freak out And so, I mean, like we teach, just move, move. You have to move. Mm. Don't freeze because as soon as you freeze, you procrastinate. 
And as soon as you procrastinate, you stop. So you just have to move. I don't care if it's eyes, ears, nose, throat, take a hold of anything you possibly can to get away. So those are the types of things that we, that we talk about. We, yes, they have fun. Most of these girls that come into my self-defense classes have never, never hit anybody before in their lives. And, and uh, none, uh, regardless, like hitting a pad, mm-hmm. right? So you put a pad in front of them and they're like, woo, or they'll come in. And if they start, because we don't wear those, those silly, like red band suits, the mm-hmm. bubbles, we don't do that. Like the guys that come in, they were, they're going to come in, they're going to wear their cups and they're going to put their mouth guards in because they are going to get hit. Yeah. And I tell those girls, do not hold back. And I, I will attack them myself. And we have walked out of there with black eyes, bloody noses, bleeding lips, um, bruised feet because they stomp on our feet. Mm-hmm. And we take it because I want them to know what it feels like to actually hit and touch flesh and bone. I don't want them to be hitting a big pad three inches away from the guy's face. And then again, have this like false sense of security. Mm-hmm. They don't even know what they're striking because they've got this big bubble on their head. So mm-hmm. they don't know what it looks like or feels like to hit like eyes or ears or nose. You must have a really resilient guys. Uh, and yeah, <laughs> they're pretty awesome. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've got we there's a team of us. Um, and what I, I loved about too teaching with Richard is that like, I could just go to town and, and show the girls really, truly how, how dirty it is and how brutal you have to be. You're, you're saving your life. So yeah. there, it's no joke. That's uh, that sounds like a really good program. Yeah. I probably won't join because I don't like to be hit too much by women. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. And then I don't let them say sorry either because every now and then you'll get, you'll kind of get clocked in the face or something and they'll go, Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. And I said, and I always tell them don't train like that. A good job. You're not in UK because my wife is English and every time she passes me, she says, sorry. 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 I was, I worked with Master Ken, so he came to the, the States and did our very mm-hmm. first Ameridote or Master Ken live thing. And him and I started working together and I was tour managing for him for like mm-hmm. five years. When Richard passed away, I stopped so I could focus on the dojo, mm-hmm. but we came to the UK so many times and it, it was so fun because everyone in the UK is like, sorry. Oh, yeah, then- I know. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm Polish and we kind of. <laughs> We, don't, we say sorry only once in the blue moon. <laughs> but here it's so just, you know, overwhelmed. You and your wife balance each other out then. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, well, she's converting me to be more polite and be more Yeah. <laughs> so, um, what's the future for Peaceful uh, Warrior Martial Arts and Healing Center? Um, what's your programs and stuff? Yeah, so... I mean, we're, we're still the, we're recovering from the COVID thing. You know, of course, uh, when COVID happened, we actually downsized a little bit, but we're still in the same plaza, but we downsized. We just moved down a mm-hmm. few suites and because we had a lot of students who of course were really scared and, and they left or they took a break or what have you. And, but now what we're doing is we're seeing an influx of students. So unfortunately, a lot of other karate schools are closing or have already closed. And we have just been so resilient. And again, I just, I owe it to first Richard for, for us, the two of us creating this amazing community. But then on top of that, like all of our instructors who are there with us, who are just so committed and focused. Um, and then all of our students and our families and our parents and everything. But those, those people that have stuck around are our, those are our core group. And then on top of that, we're, we're gaining new students, mm-hmm. whether they're brand new to martial arts or where they've come from a school, unfortunately, that's closed down. And so I only see it growing and building. Amazing. And, you know, when Richard first died, I kind of dug my heels in the sand and I didn't want to change anything. I didn't want to change the curriculum and I didn't want to change the way we did things. And, and what I realized is that uh, when the eight years that him and I had the dojo before he passed, uh, we changed things all the time. 
all the time, it was kind of like just a, a living, our curriculum was like a living document. Like we constantly were adding and deleting and, and reshifting our focus. And so I thought, well, gosh, I've got to, I have to be okay doing that now, even though he's not here. And so we're changing the curriculum a little bit and we're, we're pressure testing like all of our self-defense techniques. And mm -hmm. even last night, um, you know, because in the dojo, we see like a lot of self-defense techniques off that one punch. And then you just leave the punch out there and you let the guy do mm -hmm. the technique on you. And you're like, whoo, this is awesome. I got to pull off the whole technique. Well, last night in my class, we were just adding that second punch. Just, mm -hmm. all right, let's come in. You, you're going to throw one. You're going to throw two. So throw that. And then the second one comes and we had to readjust some of our techniques because of that mm -hmm. second punch that was coming in, which is more realistic. Mm -hmm. Definitely. So we're adding a lot more we're just pressure testing a lot of our stuff and just adapting to multiple attacks that's excellent i yeah. am constantly modifying and changing my my uh, syllabus we actually had a uh, meeting with other people um, other dojos uh, who are on the beginning of the changing their syllabus to more practical and stuff so we have a conversation about that from one of the groups when you've been having your uh, conversation <laughs> with uh, Rob, <laughs> um, which is a great group, by the way. Um, yeah. Um, where can we find information about peaceful martial, uh, peaceful, peaceful warrior martial arts and healing center? Yeah. And... So we have our website, peacefulwarriorphx.com, and then of course we're on Facebook, we're on Instagram. I don't do any other social media because it's just like, oh my gosh, enough is enough after a while. Yeah, it is. It is tiring. I'm yeah. withdrawn from all the platforms because it's just taking all day. Yeah. To do stuff. And then we have our YouTube channel as well. So that's still up. I think we've got like six and a half thousand subscribers or something on our YouTube channel. And so mm -hmm. we post videos periodically still. And so I'm, I'm going to link everything in the, in the description below. So um, all the listeners can have a look through it and um, give it likes and follow and watch out for another um, touchy videos from Tiffany. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I can't wait. <laughs> <laughs> Tiffany, thank you for your time today. It was a pleasure to, um, talking to you. Thank you too, Les. I appreciate it. <laughs> <laughs> bye bye. Bye. Thanks.